I want to introduce Mark Foreman, who I've asked to run anchor on this message. If you don't know this guy, this guy is a mentor, a dear friend, but also the former lead pastor. So uh, welcome, Mark Foreman. Thank you, buddy. Love you. Hey, you guys. You just don't learn. You keep taking a risk on me. Uh, it's so good to be with you. Thank you. It's good to be seen. <laughs> Sounds pretty arrogant, doesn't it? Ah, what a joy. Um, well, it's my privilege to talk about the last verse of Psalm 23. Um, I learned Psalm 23 uh, when I was maybe seven or eight years old, uh, not from church, but uh, from public school. Uh, I know, times have changed. Um, There was this thing called release time education. And uh, it was once a week on Thursday uh, around lunchtime. And um, I remember if, if you signed up as a Protestant, you went with this person out to this trailer that had, was set up like a classroom. And if you signed up as a Catholic, uh, you went to somebody's house and had tea and cookies. And I always thought I should have signed up as a Catholic. <laughs> and, and if you didn't want to participate, you had the option of going to this fun thing on the playground. So everybody had their options. And uh, so um, I, I don't remember much about it, but I remember memorizing uh, Psalm 23 and Psalm 100. And so I, I love this psalm. It, it brings back really good feelings for me as a child learning about like, so this is, seems like a pretty cool shepherd, whoever this shepherd is. Um, and I'm so glad I, at 18 came to know him. Well, today, I want to take us into the future. The psalm has been taking us through our lives, and when we go through this life, and we go through that, 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 uh, that the shepherd is there. But now, what about the future? So, I want you to picture in your mind an anchor. Most of us have seen an anchor at some point. Uh, most of us don't have naval experience about the whole function of the anchor, but uh, and most of us mistakenly think that we just drop the thing. And, you know, it's just heavy and it's just going to this, hold this a billion ton ship. And, and actually, that's not true. Because the winds and the waves will come and hit this ship. And, and the anchor is just going to bounce along. And you're going to end up somewhere else when you wake up in the morning. So what happens is the anchor has to be essentially thrown out. I don't remember what the angle is, a 20 or 30 degree angle. So it's an it's a inordinate amount of chain or in a smaller boat, a rope. And, and you get the anchor out there and then you back up the boat so that, the, that what you have is, you know, the, the ocean may be 100 feet, the ground may be 100 feet below you, but you have 400 feet of chain or rope 
that's out there. And then it grabs and it's secure. And the leverage is so strong that the winds and the waves really can't drive you away. And that's my hope for this morning is that this verse, verse 6, would become an anchor to your soul. Because we don't know about the future, do you? I mean, some of you are prophets and you have it all figured out. And, uh, but most of us, I mean, think of, we don't know what the future is culturally and politically. We don't know the future of, of our health. We don't know the future of our family and the, the high tides and low tides that hit us. We really don't know. Uh, we know from Psalm 23 that he has been these things in our lives heretofore, but now what about the future? So Jesus, we ask you to come and be with us now. Speak to our hearts. Make us vulnerable, dear shepherd. We leave aside all of our judgments, all of our attitudes, all of our what-ifs and if-onlys. to just let you touch us and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So to just review, because we've got to review, how do we get to verse 6? I have chosen something really playful and fun um, to show you some cartoons of verses 1 through 5. When Jan and I were dating, uh, she lived in we, we dated up in Santa Barbara at, at college, but uh, she was living with her parents in Whittier, my parents down in Santa Ana, Newport area, and, uh, and she got a job in, in Balboa Island um, at a boutique uh, gift and card shop that was owned by a Christian, and this is the early 70s where everything was just, the, you know, the hippies and moved into Christians that moved into all these boutique shops and everything. And so she had an opportunity to draw and publish a greeting card uh, that was built around several different themes. And one of them was Psalm 23. So I'm going to have fun taking you back to 1971. And uh, we're going to review Psalm 23. So it begins like this, looking at the screen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, <laughs> I love the fact that the Lammy, that's what we'll call him or her, Lammy, uh, is clinging to the shepherd because that kind of says it all. The whole challenge of Psalm 23 is will you cling, meaning, trust the shepherd. This is really a psalm about faith. We often, as Christians, we, we confess faith like it's a preamble, like the, the Pledge of Allegiance. I believe that Jesus is, you know, the deity of the Son of God. I believe in the Trinity. I believe in... And these are preambles, but oftentimes we're not willing to trust. And there's a gap there's this sanctification gap between what I believe and what I do. Jesus calls attention to that in uh, Matthew 6 when he talks about 
the birds of the air and the flowers and, and they don't worry. And that part of the Christian experience is to abandon worry. Paul talks about that in Philippians 4. Be anxious for nothing but in everything through prayer and supplication. Give your requests, make your requests known to God. That he's calling us to take our faith that, yeah, he did die for my sins. Yes, he did rise from the dead. Yes, he is coming back uh, for us. And he cares about you today and tomorrow. Will you cling? I think it's good to substitute Christianese. And faith is often a word that we, we use so much we don't know what it means. But surrender and cling are visible words that help us to grab a hold of faith. Everyone clings to something. Did you know? Even the self-reliance cling to something. Even the atheist, the agnostic, cling to something. I was talking to someone just this week, and they found out I was, you know, we're friends, we're talking, and he said, oh, you're a Christian. I said, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, I really enjoy being a Christian. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, but I, I said, I didn't always believe, but I became a believer. And, uh, and they said, um, I don't believe, well, just for me, I don't believe in God. I just believe, and they went on to tell me what they believe. And I, I smiled at them, and they knew through my smile that I knew something about what they had just said. They told me their faith system. I just, and I said, yeah, you just believe. When I get on an airplane, I believe the plane is going to get me to where I want to go. <laughs> I, you're believing in this chair right now that it's going to hold you up. It, there's all kinds of belief systems. And you could argue back and say, no, no, I've scientifically figured this out and that out. But no one's scientifically figured out whether there is or isn't a God. There's just faith systems. That we, and, and these ultimate concerns in our life determine what we cling on to. And even the most self-reliant, the self-disciplined, the, the, the best visionary, the person that's provided the greatest resources, everything else, uh, at the end of the day, they're really clinging, trusting in themselves. No matter how diversified they are. And... What if something happens that we haven't planned for? Well, in the future, uh, we're clinging on to God. I need to move on quickly here uh, before I make a whole sermon out of that one verse. Because this is review. <laughs> um, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And this image is for me. I have friends, I talk to them, and they, I say, hey, what are you doing today? I'm just chilling. Meaning, and it, I'm just chilling. Meaning, I'm relaxing. Are you watching them? No, no, I'm relaxing. Are you, are you eating? No, no, I'm just relaxing. How, how many days have you been doing this? 
So, but I'm one of these guys that I wake up at 5 a.m. and I, I, my motor's going and everything, and that's the way I relax, you know. And um, so this is what God has to do to me. I wish I could do what my friends can do. He makes me lie down and, and to enjoy. You know, there is a God, and it is not me. So there has to be a point where I have to stop it, Mark. Stop it, stop it. Next, he leads me beside still waters. Yeah, I love the image of still waters, especially a surfer likes still waters. Not, not in terms of flat, but no wind, no chop. At least I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a banker hour surfer, you know, and I try to get out before the chop. And I love still waters. It just speaks a calmness to my soul. Let's move on. He restores my soul. Isn't that fun? <laughs> how many of us can remember not knowing how to handle the ice cream on the cone? And you took your first lick, and there goes the ice cream down it. <laughs> Why don't our parents teach us that? That should be parenting 101. You got to press down with your tongue so it doesn't fall off the cone. And then there's the, the two kinds of parents. One that says, you should have known not to do that, you know. You're just going to go without ice cream for, while the rest of us eat. And then, then there's the wonderful parent that says, I'll give you another cone. And if they're really good, they'll say, to the ice cream shop owner. Could you give us another one <laughs> and not have to pay? <laughs> but some of our spilt cones are just circumstantial of life. It, it happened, you lost your job, tumultuous time in your marriage, sickness. But some of uh, the things have happened are because of us. Am I revealing too much? Or can you relate? There's been a crooked path, a dark decision. Uh, oh, I shouldn't. And um, so as he restores our soul, which is such a great word. I mean, even the, the word restorative, isn't that a great word? Uh, he restores our soul by helping us to make better decisions in the future. Right zedic is the word. It means straight. Straight paths, but not crooked paths. Moving on. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. I like that David used the valley of the shadow of death. He goes to the ultimate. Uh, not the, just the valley of sickness, the valley of lost job, or the valley of COVID. Or, you know, he goes to the ultimate thing. The, uh, the thing that has a grip on all of us. Like, I've never been there before. I don't know what that is. I can't peer around that corner of what death is. But many of us have buried people that has caused us to... Like, well, that is, that is a deep, dark thing. I, I, I have all of this hope for the future, but that's a tough thing. 
And so David uses that hyperbolically that even if it's that, the, the deepest, the darkest, the most unknown, even if it's that, I will fear no evil. Now, today we're going to talk about why we don't fear evil, okay? But isn't it good to know that you don't serve and love an evil God? Hello? Yes. I'm telling you, I know believers who uh, treat God as if he's a capricious God, that he wakes up in the morning and he says to the angels, I don't know, what do you think? Mark hasn't had a bad experience lately. I think it would really be good for him. We'll find out whether he loves me or not, you know, and that's, uh, that would be horrible. That's, that's evil. Your God is 100% good all the time. And he invented goodness in the garden and that's because that's who he is. So, I will fear no evil. Why? Not because life is perfect. Not because we don't live in a broken world. But because of him. For thou art with me. Because you're good. And you're with me. And there's two things that he uses. One is the defense. One is the offense. The defense is the rod. For the lion. The bear that are coming to get you. He's got this 18-inch rod. Shepherds were gnarly in those days. In parts of the world, they still are. Uh, you know, David being able to take down uh, a lion and a bear uh, with, without a gun. <laughs> That's impressive. So the rod is a defensive, and then the staff is for you. No, we're not going over the cliff. We're not going to eat that. That's poisonous. So he's pulling us back in, and they comfort us. It's good to know that he has the rod and the staff. Next, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies. There is a devil. There is a lion who is roaring, and he's not a kitty. He's real. But look at the drumstick. <laughs> Jan and I think a lot about food. <laughs> um, thou preparest the table before me in the presence of my enemies, uh, but the enemies can't get to me. There is a line, there is a limit that God is protecting. And then next, you anoint my head with oil, my cup. Overflows. This is, from an interpretive standpoint, this is really interesting to me because uh, the, the oil on the sheep I get because uh, shepherds, according to a shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm that was written back in the mid-1970s, as a shepherd, he said that uh, uh, shepherds will pour oil on the sheep's head to get all the flies off of the nose and, and the eyes of the sheep. And any shepherd will tell you that a, a sheep can be, or a goat can be just covered with flies right here. And they love to uh, 
you know, plant their eggs and, and it's just gnarly to think about. And so a shepherd will pour oil over that part of the sheep to protect them from uh, the, the flies. But then he transitions to my cup overflows. And, and you think, wait, 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 We're, we've lost the image here. It's hard to picture uh, a, a sheep drinking out of a cup. And so another way to see this transition is a king in, in his royal chamber. A king also was anointed with oil. And his cup overflows. You know, there's, there's too much wine and goodness to fit into the cup. That's a, a sign of plenty, of thriving. So then finally, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Not some of the days, but all of the days. The good days, the bad days, the in-between days, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And so forever. So in the remaining minutes, I want to just take a look at this one verse and have you unpack it with me. So we're talking about what's going to happen in the future. And fear is a very present emotion. We don't fear fear. We don't feel fear in the future. We feel fear now, but it's always related to the future. You could argue that fear can be in the present because I'm on the railroad track and there's a train coming and I feel fear right now and it's not the future. It's going to happen right now. That, that is, or I'm, I see the spider and he's right there right now and so forth. But I would push back and say it's only because you can imagine what's going to happen if the train hits you. It hasn't hit you yet. It's still futuristic, even though the time is very short. So this thing about the future, whatever it is, has power over our present. But what if, here it is, my friends, what if goodness and love were guaranteed? That this is not a risky stock. What if goodness and love were the absolute guarantee of your future? David says it is. He says, surely. And I actually love a different translation of that. Because the word surely, primarily in the Hebrew, is translated only. And isn't that more impactful? Because surely kind of is just um, truly, truly, surely, surely. Uh, it, it, it's a kind of a pompous word. It's very big and well-rounded. But only is very exacting. That there are not a lot of options. There's one option only for the Lammy of God. And that's you. So today I come with good news for you only goodness and mercy are your future I mean for that one truth alone you should have put a lot more money in the offering 
I mean, that is worth the price of admission. But now I think, wow, do I really believe that? Because some of us, some of you are like me. I'm the doubting Thomas. I'm not going, well, let me think about that. What if, what if only, I don't know. Read the fine print. But that's the bold truth. Because God is love. God is good. And he is your shepherd. And only goodness and mercy are yours. You'll look back at your life one day and say, whoa, I don't remember all the, the bad and the ugly. It just seems like goodness and mercy happened. Right? Now, our society doesn't promote goodness very much. I've, I've thought a lot about this. There's rarely a time that you'll hear an advertiser or a politician say, vote for me because I'm good and I'll do good things. We talk about justice. I'll bring justice for this. We talk about standard of living. I'll, I'll give you bigger mansions and more of this. I'll put a Coke machine in every classroom and I'll, you know, it, but rarely do we think about the quality of Good. You with me? I, good is an important thing. Like, I don't need a five-star hotel, but I want a good one. You know? I don't want any pet fleas in my bed. I just want a good... Uh, I, I just want a good meal. I know the difference between a bad beach and a good beach. I know the difference between a good car, doesn't have to be a Rolls Royce, just a good car that gets me from A to Z, versus a bad car that breaks down on the... So, but we rarely talk about good. For me, goodness is mostly summarized by a good double chocolate cake. <laughs> now, think with me for a minute, because this, this kind of dissects goodness for us. I'm going to a birthday party today and I know it happens to be a double chocolate VG's uh, cake. Oh yeah. Now I have had cake that was not good. You're not invited. No, I'm, I'm eating the whole thing. Um, so for some people, they're on a diet. So they don't want much frosting and if they do want frosting, they don't want any sugar in it. And if, it, if there is a little bit of sugar, they don't want anything else in it. it it's for looks. That's not good. <laughs> I, I eat good. Six and a half days a week. So one hour, I can eat bad. So I can hear the arteries shutting, you know, just closing. <laughs> And so the frosting for a good cake needs to be good. Yeah. Yeah. Yummy. And then the cake needs to be good. Now, I've eaten a lot of wedding cakes that were prepared last week. <laughs> and they're dried out white stuff. 
that look good in the three-tiered thing, but you, you think, wow, what a waste of time. <laughs> because the substance of this thing, the cake is bad. It's not good. And then the filling. I don't want just some icy whatever. I want some pureed raspberry berry that is just put in the middle of this cake. Chokes me up to think about it. <laughs> and then it's all put together and it's good. Now what if that was the way God was about everything? I know the difference between good and bad music. Forget who it was. Let me check. Duke Ellington. I mean, it's attributed to Bob Dylan. It's Johnny Cash. But it was really Duke Ellington, the first one that said, there's only two kinds of music, good and bad, <laughs> in every genre. I know a good friend versus a bad friend. And the list goes on and on and on. So what if, imagine for me, that God imagined a world that was good. I think that's why I love fantasy, because it brings me into a world that I think God imagined that is good. That's who you are following. And he's bringing that to you. And he promises that for your future. And the other is love. Now this word, this is huge in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, there's this word, H-E-S-E-D. Uh, -E but it's pronounced like it has a C at the front of the H. Chesed. Chesed. And chesed is translated mercy. It's translated loving kindness. But it has the weight of steadfast, faithful, covenant love. And that's the word that's used here. It's rock solid love. Now, if you're raising a daughter and your daughter is starting to date, you're sitting now with your daughter and you're saying, you know, honey, you're going to meet a lot of wonderful men and a lot of louses. And they're all going to use the same word, L-O-V-E. You got to be able to see love. And love is not, let me kiss you, baby. Love is steadfast faithful. They bring home the paycheck. They show up. They're always, their word is what they do. And that is God's love for you. Wouldn't it be horrible to have a God that just says, really love you, baby. I'll be back someday. Maybe with one of these skywriters planes going by. A banner saying, I really love you, Mark. 
We want something that's solid. And so you have goodness, that's solid. And you have steadfast love, that's rock solid. And that's your future, that's your legacy. What people will say about your life in heaven, but it's this life as well. All the days of my life, this life, goodness, love. Now, there's one word that we, before we close this, that we have to think about, and that's the word follow. Isn't that a fun word? But I think it could be translated better like it is in most of Scripture in the Old Testament. It has, it's not a follow, it kind of is a passive word. Like you're a dog owner and your two dogs really don't want to keep walking and they're following you because you're, they're on a leash. That's not the image here. The word is to pursue. So goodness is after you. Faithful love is after you. They're chasing you down like two hounds in heaven. They're after you. What's going to happen if these hounds, they just won't leave me alone. They're just after me. <laughs> they want to bring you goodness and love. And they're not leaving. They're, they're, they're pursuing you with an agenda. And the agenda is goodness bringing goodness into your life and God's love into your life Francis Tom, Thomas wrote a, a, a poem back in 1890 called the hound of heaven I so relate to this psalm this poem because God has pursued me my, not just pre-Christian life, but Christian life with goodness and love. But uh, he, I won't read you the whole poem because it goes on for days. Uh, but uh, uh, he says somewhere that uh, you pursued me. I, I fled him down the nights, down the days. I fled him down the arches and the ways. I fled him down the labyrinth ways uh, uh, of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter that came from him. And for three pages, he goes on about him running from the hound of heaven and when the, the hound finally gets him, it's goodness and love. Amen. So today, I mean, if, if you're an unbeliever, it's time to stop running. It's time to just say, okay, catch me. You are your own worst enemy. As this poem says, it's your own soul that betrayest you, not God. But even more so to the believer. You say you believe in God. This is your God. This is your day-to-day -day experience. And if you push back down in Thomas and say, but I had a trial yesterday, but my bills didn't get paid. Well, what am I, what about do this? I get it. I have all of those things in my life. 
But it's not because of God. It's because of a broken world. And we live between the already and not yet. And I have to know that God's plan in the beginning was when he created everything in Genesis 1. He didn't say it's very okay. It's very Mm, a little bit of that he said it's very tov good and that's the word here very good and then we went through the fall and it's broken but in the end it's very good again and his fingerprints of goodness and love are already working in your life so we say something like Romans 8.28 in the New Testament that we know that all things All things work together for good. Good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. And Romans 8, 37. In all things we are more than conquerors. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons. Nor the present nor the future. See that all those things exist. Nor any powers. Neither height nor depth. Nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us. From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And now for the final phrase. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 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 My sons often close their concerts singing a song. That's called whatever. And, uh, And... yeah it'll come to me and the closing line is forever and the sound engineer will often put on the echo at that time and it goes forever 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 so I want to know what is my forever your forever is to live in the house of God that has been the story and the plan of God forever I don't know why don't ask me but God loves you (laughs) beats me and so he's this missionary dude that has come after you and wants to step into your world not to mess you up not to invade your privacy but so that you could live with him forever and his forever is good and love. Can you remember, I remember in college coming home for the first time after moving away to go to college and just, what, what was I looking forward to? It, it, food, my little dog Coco, there was, yeah, there was a lot of different things, but there was a feeling that I grew up with in this house. There's a feeling of home. You know that home feeling? It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of mom's cooking. It's a, it's a little bit of dad and mostly mom. <laughs> Sorry, just saying. <laughs> I mean, football players don't say hi, dad. They say hi, mom. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of different things, but it's that feeling of home. The, think about the whole Bible. The whole story is about you getting home. Think about it. The Garden of Eden, who's invading the garden, coming down and walking in the cool of day? It's God. 
the tabernacle. Who fills the tabernacle with his presence? It's God. And then the, the uh, temple. Who fills the temple? The, this, these are all preparatory images to prepare us for what our eternity is. And finally, in the New Testament, there's this temple that now is figurative and it's not made of stones and hands. It's we are the living stones, Peter says. And then finally, you get to the Revelation and we see this new Jerusalem coming down and it's finally declared in Revelation 21. And, and it's the same word. He will dwell with us. It's in the heart of God to dwell, to live with you. Wow. I mean, you can have the streets of gold. You can have your mansion. But it's God who you were made for and God who wants to be with us. Jesus said, in my father's house are many rooms. If, I, if it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be forever. So this whole psalm leaves the ball in our court. And the simple ball is, do you believe it? Yeah. This, this is an incredible shepherd. Cling to him. Lord, we, we come to you and Lord, the doubter in me takes a step of faith towards you and says, Lord, I want to believe that you're good and that you're loving. This morning... As a doubter or an unbeliever, I take that step towards you to say, could you reveal more of yourself to me this way and help my unbelief? And God, for us as believers, that we would say, God, forgive me for all of my doubting about your, your goodness. Um, I surrender. I wave the white flag and I declare you to my own soul that my present and my future is good and loving and I will live with you forever. Amen.